All right, as we've been saying for 25 years, let's say it again. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And anyone who's ever experienced a 25-year anniversary, of course, in your marriage, know that it's a pivotal time. It's a time in which you look at your life, you reflect back uh, words, you think about what's happening next. And so in saying that, for the last six months, I have earnestly been praying and seeking and asking the Lord what He would have to say to us this morning. And by my surprise, he led me to this passage. It's a passage that I believe speaks to the number one concern that so many people have today. Also, it speaks uh, against the number one lie that is in the world today. And we find that Paul the Apostle, in writing to the church there in Corinth, gives us these verses, and I'd like to read them with you if I may. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which we are are seen are temporal, are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In 1997, when we started this church, President Bill Clinton was in office. We had just moved through the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Some of you may have remembered that. It was a very uh, sad time, an embarrassing time for our nation. But there was excitement because in 1997, there was this new technology that was emerging. There was this technology that connected everybody and put resources at your fingertips. It was called the Internet. The internet was now, at 1997, starting to become a prominent thing. And we all got those little discs in the mail from uh, America Online. And you put them in, and the modem rang. And you connected to the internet. Oh, this download speed's incredible. It's 14.4, you know. And, oh, there's a picture, honey. Oh, okay, we'll let it download. We'll come back after lunch. And hopefully it'll be there. It was an interesting and exciting time, the time that the church started in 1997. As the Lord was leading us, I started working part-time jobs. I had come out of the computer industry. For a young man my age, 28, I was making good money at that time. And after starting the church in the first year in 1998, one July morning... I wake up and my wife is gone. I'm like, man, the rapture happened and I knew he was going to skip me. And then all of a sudden she comes marching in with this box that she wanted me to open. And I opened it and there was this little Chicago Bears jersey. Bears are 0-3-0. Ah, little Chicago Bears jersey indicating that our first child 
was on the way. And being the incredibly great husband that I am, I said those words to her that I'm sure every first expecting mother hopes to hear from her loving husband. Honey, it's not in the budget. We can't afford to have a child. Can't we put her on layaway? Can't we do something else? And after Autumn was born on March 1st of 1999, the entire world went crazy thinking that it was going to come to an end. Not because Autumn was born, let's make it clear. (laughs) But the whole world were watching their televisions in hopes that they could understand if this mysterious computer technology problem called Y2K was actually going to happen. People were stocking water. They were running out to stores and hoarding toilet paper. You always know what's important to the person when they hoard things during these crises. I'm still wondering what they thought when COVID started, but that's another topic for another day. And as people were panicked, concerned, and scared that everything was going to shut down from the electrical grid to uh, the satellites falling out of orbit because of computer malfunctions, thinking that nuclear weapons were going to be launched because they couldn't control the launch codes, the world was in a very peculiar place at that moment in time. But after the lights stayed on, January 1st, 2000, it was almost a year and a half later, that someone called and I woke up on that beautiful September morning. And I woke up and they said, just get to your television. Just hang up with me and get to your television. I flipped the television on and there it was, an airplane flying into the trade tower, the Twin Tower. I'm like, what was it? What? And, you know, because you're rubbing your eyes, thinking, it can't be. What did I just see? And then the second one hit. The towers were burning. And we knew that America was now in a position of vulnerability to terrorists. And the world got a little bit more scary. In October, we woke up to that morning. The President George W. Bush announced that we had bombed Afghanistan. And that soon after that, in 2003, the American troops were getting ready to invade the nation of Iraq. For four years, we went through the Iraq War. And in 2007, our society was impacted with change again when a man from California announced that he had developed and invented a new phone. It was called the iPhone. And everybody had to have an iPhone. It was so bad that after the 2007 release of the iPhone, that in 2008 we went into one of the greatest recessions ever in our country. Now, is it because they all bought iPhones? They were pretty expensive at that time. But we saw the financial economy here in America teeter like we've never seen it before. We saw the Dow just continuing to slide into oblivion. We saw foreclosures spark all over America. People were walking away from their homes. 
We were supposed to be the richest, most prosperous nation in the world. And then we saw that even our economy is vulnerable. But through that, a building that was once unaffordable to us in 2011 became affordable. And we moved into this facility in the midst of a recession. When we moved in behind us, there was an empty lot. Those houses didn't exist. And dump trucks and bulldozers were left by the previous developer. They just left them there. There were weeds growing around them and so ever. And God moved us in to this building. However, though, 10 years later, we could have never imagined that in March of 2020, we would learn about this disease called COVID-19. And the world just seemed to go a little bit more crazy after that. Nothing made sense anymore. We were locked down. We weren't allowed to socialize. Churches couldn't gather. We were seeing something in our land that we've never seen before, a pandemic ripping across the entire world. People afraid and scared wondering what was going to happen next. And then, of course, this year we are now finally emerging from that pandemic, and more specifically, the failed response to the pandemic through politicians and scientists that we now see and doctors who were into it for their own greed. But today in 2022... With all of that behind us, I'm starting to sense that people are even more concerned now than ever before. The sense that I get from people when I speak to them is that they're waiting earnestly and patiently and nervously for the next shoe to drop. What's going to happen next? And of course, our media makes it so simple to uh, get us worried and fearful and afraid, don't they? Now it's monkeypox. Next week it'll be Angora fever and something else. Who knows? But our economy is shifting once again. In the last two years, we have poured $5 trillion into the American economy and thinking that there would be no repercussions of doing just that. It's a scary time for many people, and they have made that known. It is this reason that I draw on these verses today to remind us of a fundamental truth that as Christians should guard our hearts and mind and instill peace and hope when our world circumstances don't allow it. Late last year, a Forbes article came out, should be on the screen behind me. The headline read that, Most people in America believe since the 1950s, America is in a decline. And Forbes did some incredible research to show and to demonstrate why people believe that is the case. Now, in the midst of all of this, I always remain optimistic. Some may say it's optimism to a fault. But my optimism is not drawn from the worldly Uh, things around me. My optimism is drawn from my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His Word. 
And Paul the Apostle wants to remind us again of a fundamental truth. That is that the reality in which we live in is not simply confined to the physical that is around me. The reality that I occupy as a believer in Jesus Christ, when I look in the mirror, my true self is not the reflection that I see there within the mirror. There's something so much more occurring in my life. There's so much more happening than just what we see happening around us in the nation in which we live. There's something so much more. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, we can draw hope and peace and joy from that so much more. But we just have to realize it. We have to see it for ourselves. And as we go through difficult times, as we go through trials, troubles, and tribulations, as I often like to say, Paul immediately addresses it in verse 16. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Concern that Christians would start losing momentum going forward. That they would begin to lose momentum to reach the goal that is to run the race to win. And he reminds us why we should not lose hope. He reminds us why we should not lose heart. Now he goes on to say, even though our outward man is perishing. As hard as we try, we cannot stop aging, can we? We would love just to take a pill, right, and bring aging to a complete halt in our life. We would love to rub a cream on our head and hopefully no longer be follically challenged. Oh, we hope and we pray. But the truth of the matter is, is that we can't stop the progression of aging. We feel helpless in stopping the progression of decay within our society. More and more polls are coming out showing that there is less and less optimism from individuals looking forward. Because all of the institutions in which they place their hope and value and trust in have surely let them down. Though our outward is perishing, Paul reminds us of the duality, the dual nature of human beings, and that is we who are Christian, we have an inward man. When we came to Christ born again, the real us, the new us in Christ began to rise. And though the weight of the circumstances around me may bring suffering within my life, that suffering is producing and challenging and growing the new man within me. So Paul says you can be encouraged. Don't lose heart for whatever happens here is resulting in your personal betterment. And he goes on to compare the light afflictions of this moment, the difficulties, the disappointments of the moment. And notice that word moment. I want you to underline it if you're one who likes to defile their Bibles. Underline it, highlight it. It is for a moment. It is a season. It is not forever. Too often we make decisions in those moments of distress that we end up in the long run regretting, don't we? We wish we would have thought it through a little more. Maybe we wish we would have waited on the Lord just another day before making the decision that we made that ended in disaster. We have to remind ourselves that 
often we will find ourselves in a season and in a moment, and it is imperative that we do not make a knee-jerk decision that we end up uh, regretting. But whatever these light afflictions are, that are but for a moment, it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul uses a word play here, notice with me. He contrasts the word light to the word weight. Heavy and light. The suffering of the moment is light compared to the exceeding and eternal weight of glory that it is producing within me. And this will allow us not to lose heart when we feel that's all we can do. He goes on to challenge us, and this is really the focal point of what I would like to say this morning. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. One of the conclusions I've come to is that God is certainly more concerned with my eternal glory than He is with my temporal comfort. God is more concerned with my eternal glory than He is with my temporal comfort. And therefore, if we have to forego a moment of temporal comfort for the exceeding and abundant and eternal weight of glory that will be produced through that suffering, God will allow that to occur for our personal betterment and for our reward eternally. Now that's hard for us today. Many of us have reduced our understanding of Christianity as a faith in which God is simply there to serve me, to make my life better, to bring about those things that I desire. Some have even gone as far to say that they believe that God is here to serve us because, of course, Jesus said, I have not come to be served but to serve. Yeah, you know, this is what happens when you read the picture Bible, okay? It's like, it's time to go up to big boy words, okay? That's not what he meant by that at all. We have to remind ourselves, and this is it, folks, that our reality consists of the physical in which we live. But it is governed and narrated by the eternal. There's something so much more. We need to understand that everything in this world and everything that happens in my personal life is governed by that eternal perspective and not the temporal situation. The temporal circumstances doesn't carry equal authority as my eternal perspective from my Heavenly Father. He goes on to say that the weight of eternity compared to the light afflictions of this moment gives us greater value to the eternal than to the temporal. He's valuing these statements. He's allowing us to understand that one is better than the other. And he derives his hope, which we'll see in a moment, from that truth. We need to remember, 
54 years old and my voice is still cracking. You think I'd hit puberty by now, okay? We need to remember that from Genesis to Revelation, we are given a perspective of eternity that we cannot find simply within this world around us. And this perspective of eternity starts in Genesis 1.1. It's a verse that I believe is absolutely uh, pivotal for the health and our wealth of Christian, our Christian faith. If we can believe this verse, every verse that follows it in the Bible is easily accepted. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The implications of this is tremendous. It's profound. We are not a mere accident, a chemical reaction. We were created, designed with purpose. God has created us, designed us, and prepared us for a plan in which He has for us. We were created in the image of God, male and female. From the very beginning, God tells us that our personal lives are governed by an eternal perspective. Because He created all things. And that creation testifies to His existence in our world. This year, again, we made our annual trip up to Door County. If you attend this church on a weekly basis, you know that we go to Door County quite often. 27 years now, we've been going to Door County in the summertime. Every time I go up to Door County, I see something different. And this trip, again, did not disappoint. We went one evening, very late at night, to a very exclusive, isolated piece of shoreline there at the very tip of an area called Death's Door. It's where Lake Michigan flows into Green Bay. It is pitch black at nighttime. You can't even see your hands in front of your face. We were the only ones out there. And we set up our chairs on the beach. And we're just sitting there in amazement because of what was provided for us. Though we did get a little scared and creeped out because we realize it's pitch black. We're the only ones sitting out here and absolutely an easy target for a serial killer. Do you see how your mind runs to things? I think my daughter actually turned her chair around so she could see him coming from behind us. Door County is a great place, really. But as we sat under there, as we sat there on that beach in the pitch black, the stars, it was like a planetarium. You felt as if you could just reach up and touch the Milky Way. You can actually see the gases of the Milky Way as you're sitting there. And Dina doesn't let us leave until she sees the shooting star, so we left at four in the morning. It's, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. But this year, God provided something for us that we didn't anticipate. As we were sitting there, we saw something for the very first time, 54 years old, and I'm seeing something for the very first time in a place I've been 27 times at least. As we were sitting there, we saw this eerie red glow on the horizon line. At first, we thought it was a sail of a ship illuminated in some specific way. 
But then it got bigger and bigger. So then we immediately ran to the natural conclusions, it must be aliens. (laughs) And we're watching this thing. We're, We're like, what is that? It was the moon rising before us. And we were astonished. We were just sitting there absolutely astonished. And as the moon rose on the water, the water was still that night, it illuminated a path that led us, you could think you could just walk right right to the moon itself and touch it. It was incredible, incredibly glorious. And as I was sitting there, I heard, I felt, I heard these words in my heart. Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? God, how is it possible that you're aware of us? You've done all of this, the glory of creation testifying to your existence. How is it possible that you're mindful of me? That you know me so personally and intimately that you say you have every hair that on my head numbered, every tear I've ever cried in a bottle. You've made all of this, and yet, God, you are mindful of me. But as we were driving away that night, I was quickly reminded how what the light pollution of cities and towns and so forth often disturb the reality that is there in the heavens. Isn't that so true about our existence here and now? We go through day, life on a daily basis, day by day, week by week, month by month, and the circumstances and the cares of this world often drown out the reality that God is there and that God cares and that He will not abandon us ever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll finish the work that he started in you. He is there and cares about you personally and intimately. And even though he is the author of our life, even though he is the architect of the heavens above us, he is mindful of us. And though we begin in Genesis 1-1, the story doesn't end there. We head then to Revelation chapter 21 verses 4 and 5 and we read these words. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. God is working in our midst even when we don't see it. His plan is unfolding perfectly. Though our world is continuing down a corridor of chaos, God is there and he cares and he is walking with us step by step every point of the way. And ultimately, it is going to be the fulfillment of his personal plan from the very beginning. And there's nothing that man can do to thwart what God has set in motion. God told us beforehand that the days of the last days would be complicated times, perilous times, confusing times, times that will cause us great distress. And yet he also tells us that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Cast your cares upon me for I care for you. 
And He'll see us through till the very end. That's where the governance of the eternal is superior to the temporal of the moment and allows us not to lose heart, but to take one more step going forward. But the work doesn't end there, folks. The work doesn't end there. That same work that he's doing in all of creation, bringing about his eternal purpose and end, bringing it back to the point of perfection after man's fall and the introduction of death, sin, and imperfection, right now we can taste a part of that work in our own lives. When we look into the mirror as a Christian, we understand that there's an outward man perishing and that there's an inward man being renewed day by day. And it all begins with this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. As we wait for God to bring about His end result, we can be comforted and find hope and joy and peace because He is working in us day by day, bringing about the desired changes. Not allowing us to be transformed to this world, but uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have a saying here at Calvary Chapel, and it's very important. Every person who walks through this door as a believer in Jesus Christ is a work in progress, under construction. Do you remember? These shirts were real popular when Dina was pregnant with Autumn. You know, it had the, it was a yellow shirt, black writing, under construction, pointing to the baby and so forth. And as the, you know, the construction letters got bigger, as the shirt stretched, you knew the construction process was going along. I wish we all had those shirts on. I wish we would all remember that we are all works in progress, showing each other then the grace that is due, the same grace that God has shown us, knowing that God isn't finished with us yet. That the work that he has started in us, he promises to finish. But right now, we are just in a moment of transition. Paul gave us further reassurance in Romans 8.28 when he said, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. No matter what you go through, no matter what you're experiencing as a believer in Jesus Christ, God is using to bring about that perfect change in your life. The great artist Michelangelo once said, the more marble that is wasted, the more statue grows. As he chipped away on the marble in which he created his works in, he realizes that the more marble that resulted and ended on the floor only resulted in the finished product. And sometimes we look at the marble on the floor rather than the finish, the work in which God is doing in our lives. I, artists fascinate me. You know, they, they find a piece of clay and they see a vase in it. Or they see some other, a cup or a bowl and so forth. I see a pile of mud. It's like uh, that individual that was on Channel 11 some years ago, I think Norm Abram was his name, sitting at his breakfast table looking out and seeing a willow tree and saying, hey, that could be a curio. And goes out to his backyard, cuts down the tree, and within like a day he builds a curio for his dining room. It's incredible. We see the tree. 
We see the clay. We see that part of the work. But what we should be noticing is the work that God is doing in us. And that's something I can say about 25 years. I am certainly not the person I was when we started. I look back and I see the fact that God has worked in me more than I could have ever expected. Not working through me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying working in me. I am not the same person I was 25 years ago. And I'm thankful for that. And this reality, when we embrace the eternal, will lead to true hope within our lives. And that word hope means expectations, fulfillments, and of something desired and wanted within the life of the individual. This hope will allow us to sustain the most difficult times here on this earth. It's a hope that we had one time placed in technology and politics and money and people and even in ourselves, which have all let us down. But Paul saw that for him, it was the hope of the work of God within him, this temporary light affliction, which is working in exceeding and eternal glory. We know this because of what he said in Romans 8.18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's so much more happening. There is so much more going on. The greatest lie that I mentioned that people are subjecting themselves, believing, living their lives by, and even some Christians have began to buy into this lie, and it is this, that this is all there is. This physical world, who who I am right now, the time in which I've been allotted here on this earth, They think this is all that there is. And the Bible tells me from Genesis to Revelation that there is so much more. And once we understand that, we can draw hope from that so much more like never before. But how do we do that? We do it by faith. Faith is a big word and many struggle with it. The writer to Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. He says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed, notice this, by the word of God. And here's the kicker. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So the physical world that we, in, that we occupy, that we inhabit, was made by the invisible. Those things which we do not see. Therefore making those things that we do not see superior to those things that we do. And God is working. And we can embrace him and we can develop faith by realizing that not only God has made us promises, but he's faithful to complete every one of those promises to us and to fulfill them. And over the 25 years, I will say this, God is working now, God has worked yesterday, and I'm looking forward to God working tomorrow. He has never left us, let us down He has never uh, never not provided all of those things in which we have needed. 
He has been with us step by step, every step of the way, regardless of what was happening in the world around us. God was always faithful to us. And God will be faithful to you today. That work can start in you today. That new relationship can begin today. And all of this is possible because a young man at 33 years of age carried his cross down a road called the Via Dolorosa there in Jerusalem. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was despised. He was ridiculed and mocked. And as he carried his cross, he stumbled and one picked it up to assist him with it carried it to that place that we know as Golgotha, Calvary, the place where the cross was erected and Christ was crucified. And in that moment, the incredible work of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ impacted every aspect of the known world. Creation, time, you and I, Every aspect of the known world was impacted by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was at that moment in his death that we could no longer be required to live in the bondage of sin. He broke those bonds. He released us. But the story, of course, doesn't end there. On the third day, he rose again saying, not only have I released you, from the old life. Not only have I released you from the bondages of sin, not only have I uh, paid for the debt in which you have occurred before God, now on the third day I testify to you that I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to give you a brand new life for the old and broken one and the wrecked one, and I'm going to give you a brand new one. I'm going to take that old one from you, and I'm going to give you a brand new one today. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can be that new work. Old things passed away. All things have become new. And it all starts with this. This was the verse that I taught on 25 years ago, and it is the cornerstone of our church today. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Your new life can begin today. I was 16 years old. I was on a front porch. I was broken. I was hurting. I didn't see any future. Things were difficult at home to say the least. I was angry. I was mad. And a man came out of that house, a biker. He was talking with me. I was defiant. I was rude. I was cocky to him. He finally did what any good Christian would do. He grabbed the shirt, my shirt, picked me up one-handed at that time, put me against the wall, and he says, Listen, brother, you need Jesus. Now, I don't recommend that you try that with everybody. (laughs) This is what God needed to do to me. 
And for some reason, by the grace of God, I had nothing left. I said, I had nothing left. And he let me go. I fell to my knees. I cried out and I said, Jesus, save me. And you know what? He did. He did. And here I stand, these years later. That was in 1986. God is still working. I'm still a work in progress. I have a long way to go. Just ask my wife. But that work that he started in me, if he can save me, he can save anybody. I offer that to you today. I ask you today to consider where you are at with God. Because God brought you here today. You know, it wasn't the food because you don't know what we're having yet. (laughs) If you don't get saved, we do charge you. But God brought you here to hear these words. He loves you. He died for you. And if you will repent and believe, he will open your eyes to the reality of the true eternal world that is there that you can draw from for peace, for love, for hope, and joy. Because all of that was found in a man who walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, and his name was Jesus. He came to us and said, anyone who will receive me, I will receive him. If you will just simply cry out to Jesus today, he is there for you. But hold on, because your life will never be the same again. If you'd like to know more or talk privately afterwards, please see me. I'll be glad to spend some time with you. Father, we thank you for these 25 years. We thank you for the encouragement of your word. I thank you for everyone you have blessed our church with. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to love them and to feed them as you would have us to love and to feed them. So, Father, we do now give you the rest of our time of celebration because it is you and you alone who should receive all the glory for what has happened over these last 25 years. Father, you have truly used the simple things of this world to confound the wise, the foolish thing, to confound the mighty. Father, as we have always stated, Lord, just take us, all of us, we're yours. This is your church, Lord, and we look forward to those things that you are still yet going to do. And may you receive the glory for it. We thank you, Lord, and we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song.